Good afternoon, uh, everyone. Fran will be joining me in a moment. Um, talk a little bit about the Dolly Parton Imagination Library and uh, the progress that has been made in the last year. I'm wearing a tie from Hiram College. Um, James Garfield uh, was a graduate of Hiram. This is the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage. Um, 100 years ago, August 18th, 1920, uh, Tennessee became the 36th and the final state to ratify the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Ohio, I might say, had already ratified the 19th Amendment more than a year earlier on June 16th, 1919. Um, I think back, um, think about where my grandmothers were. Um, my grandmother, uh, Little, had just turned 20. And uh, my grandmother, uh, Alice DeWine, uh, was uh, 20, 24. So my grandmother, Ruth Little, was 20. Uh, and I just uh, wondered what they thought about that. Uh, I remember my grandmother a little talking uh, a little bit about that, but uh, I wish I had the opportunity now to, uh, to really ask them how that, how that was. Um, this is also a uh, interesting year for women 100 years ago to get uh, the opportunity to vote, uh, particularly for Ohioans, because the choice for president, they had uh, Two Ohioans, um, Warren G. Harding, newspaper publisher from Marion, Ohio, uh, and James Cox, a newspaper publisher from Dayton, Ohio. So quite a, quite a, a year. Uh, in April of last year, I signed Senate Bill 30, which created the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission to commemorate this milestone. Now, with the onset of the pandemic, our ability to really celebrate uh, in person, at least, has been curtailed. But I encourage everyone uh, to learn more about the history of the women's suffrage movement. The Ohio History Connection, a uh, good place to learn a lot of things, uh, has many resources, including uh, for teachers on its webpage at ohiohistory.org. And Tourism Ohio has created a women's history road trip that features eight different sites, and that is at ohio.org. Um, you also might want to uh, ask anyone uh, in your family uh, who uh, was alive then and uh, ask them what they remember from that time. Um, let me now introduce uh, my wife, Fran, who's going to talk a little bit about the Imagination Library and the results that we have had so far. And she is wearing a boat. Boats for Women. Good afternoon. I also have on a um, special mask today that you can see through. I read an article this past week uh, about two young women at Miami University's taking a disability class. And um, these, these masks are made, one of the girls was making these actually for kids who have disabilities so that, you know, um, that they could read their lips. And so I think this would be a great thing, you know, if you have child that needs spe something special. I think this would be a great thing. I actually found three different patterns. One of them is, is shaped kind of like a smile that you can wear. And uh, this one actually 
kind of has a chin in it. So there are a lot of different patterns online. And the trick is it's, it's a vinyl insert. And uh, if you put a, just a drop of dishwasher soap on it and then wipe it off, then it won't steam up when you're talking. So, um, but during this pandemic, you know, a lot has changed, you know, our work routine, our kids, but a lot of things are the same and still, um, you know, these kids are growing up and we as parents are their main teachers, we're their best teachers. And so I hope that you're tapping uh, the resources of the Ohio Governor's Imagination Library. Um, if you have little ones under five years old. Now, if you remember this, um, these are books free in the mail for children. Uh, they get a book every month from the time they're born until they turn five years old. So we'll hope you'll make sure your kids are signed up. I just put a couple of these books out here. You know, the very, my very favorite book is the very first one they get. It's uh, The Little Engine That Could. Uh, every child gets this no matter what age that they are when they, when they sign up. And uh, another favorite over the years, and I love reading this to kids because kids love reading it themselves. It's The Very Hungry Caterpillar. So it's just a great book. But we really started about a year ago here in Ohio. Um, um, and it's been quite a year since we started. We've expanded this program. It, it was here and it was in many, many areas, pockets of Ohio, but we expanded it to every, uh, almost every county now. So we're hoping to, to um, make sure that every child gets it. Last summer when we started our push, it was available and about, about 93,000 kids had signed up. Um, today, with the help of, first of all, our friends from the state legislature who put some money in and our county affiliates who've signed up, uh, and we've got lots of you know, new funds. And so now we have over 180,000 kids signed up. So we've more than doubled. Uh, I, I visited myself just this year uh, between January and March, I visited 16 counties. And just recently, we added two more counties. Um, we added Claremont County and Morgan County. So we're really happy to, to welcome them. So now it's available countywide in 78 of Ohio's 88 counties. And after one year, you know, we've doubled it. So that, that means 191,000 kids are getting a free book in the mail every single month. So in the remaining 10 counties, we really hope to get those up and running soon. Uh, we're looking for partners to make sure every child in the county can receive those books. Um, these 10 counties, uh, Ashland, Columbiana, Crawford, Lake, Mercer, Ottawa, Richland, Sandusky, Seneca, and Van Wert. If you can help, uh, please contact us through our website, which is the OhioImaginationLibrary.org. In September, we'll be celebrating our one-year anniversary. Those counties are not. Those counties don't have them. Those counties do not have it yet. We'll be celebrating our kids and families, our community partners, and our legislators who are investing in our children. But I know we have more work to do this year, and I look forward to the day, hopefully very soon, when every child in Ohio is receiving the benefits of the Ohio Governor's Imagination Library. Thank you. Thanks, Fran.
Fran, I want to send our best wishes to State Senator Tina Maharath of Columbus, uh, who announced on Twitter last night that she and some of her family members have been diagnosed with, with COVID-19. So our prayers go out to, to her and to her family. We learned last night uh, that we now have our first confirmed case of COVID-19 at our Ohio Veterans Home in Georgetown, uh, Brown County. An employee has been tested positive. The Ohio Department of Veterans Services had been able to keep the coronavirus out of this nursing home all this time uh, since the start of the pandemic. But sadly, uh, we are seeing a more community spread in our rural counties, and certainly Brown County has significant community spread. Uh, it is one of the 12 counties uh, in a red level three public emergency uh, this week. Uh, the employee has not been at work since Thursday morning, but it appears that at least two other employees may have been exposed uh, to this individual. Uh, this has triggered veteran services to put additional safety measures in place at the home, and they're tracking all potential exposures. Because we've been testing staff in Georgetown regularly, uh, all staff had already been scheduled to be tested yesterday and today, and that is taking place. Additionally, all residents in the unit where this employee works are being tested, as are the residents in the two other units where the potentially exposed employees are assigned. Uh, as we do each day, um, we will continue updating any change in case numbers at Ohio's two veterans home on our website, coronavirus.ohio.gov. So today uh, we're going to talk uh, about sports. I know a much anticipated uh, subject by uh, many people uh, throughout the state. Um, I thought we would talk, first talk uh, with Dr. Jim Borchers. Uh, Dr. Borchers uh, has had extensive experience um, in working in this particular area uh, at, at Ohio State University. And uh, doctor, are you on here yet? Eric, is he, is he here? I am here. He's up. Doctor, thank you so very, very much for um, joining us. And I know you've worked with athletes at, at Ohio State. And I wonder maybe if you could just kind of start off by telling us what, what you have learned. I mean, I know that we continue, uh, the medical community continues to learn more as we move forward with COVID and have more experiences and it's an evolving situation. And maybe just kind of share with us some of the things that, that, that you have seen uh, in your, at your work uh, at Ohio State uh, in general and your work with, with the athletes. Well, Governor, thanks for having me today and uh, very happy to be here. You know, our uh, experience has uh, allowed us really to study the effect of COVID and, and its effects uh, not only on athletics, but on sport and participation. And I think probably the first thing that we've learned is that uh, the health of the community around our athletes is of utmost importance to our athletes being able to compete. Um, when we are able to provide our athletes with a healthy environment um, and are able to have them follow the basic behaviors that uh, we've all been asked to follow around this virus, which is appropriate uh, social distancing um, and uh, good hygiene, face mask, and following proper procedures uh, in and around uh, sport facilities and uh, around conducting athletics. 
um, that uh, that makes a makes a large difference for us. When the community does not have a healthy environment, when we see a large infectivity rate, we have found that uh, uh, it's more difficult, and we struggle sometimes to have uh, uh, athletics and sport and organized sport. So I think that is probably first and foremost the most important thing. And I think the second thing we've uh, you know, known, and I think everyone knows is just how important athletics and sport is to our mental health and well-being, and uh, how important it is that we all join in together to allow sports to occur. Well, that's great. And uh, doctor, I, I apologize. I, I kind of rushed into this. I was anxious to hear from you. I didn't really give you the, the proper introduction, but let me just do it uh, for everyone. Uh, Dr. Borchert specializes in sports medicine at the Wexner Medical Center. Uh, he's some firsthand experience as a former Ohio State football player from 1989 to 1993. We'll give your age away, I guess, there, doctor. Getting old. There you go. He was inspired to be a doctor in part by his physicians who cared for him when he was a, a student athlete. So, doctor, thank you very, very much. Uh, we have heard, doctor, um, uh, one of the things that is in the order that we're uh, putting out today uh, talks about uh, myocarditis, but also sudden uh, cardiac arrest, which I know um, has been something that I think people have been concerned about for a long time. Uh, I, I remember years ago um, having seen that tragedy reported one night for a UD basketball player. Um, uh, I, have a, I have a good friend uh, of mine uh, from Congress whose son died uh, at a very, very young age playing, playing college uh, basketball uh, from, from that. So, Maybe you could start with that and then talk how those two are maybe are, are, are related or not related, but just some things that uh, coaches and, and athletic directors and, and everyone else connected with sports maybe should, maybe should think about. Sure. Well, I think, uh, as you mentioned, uh, sudden cardiac death in athletes is a tragic event, uh, and it uh, uh, fortunately is a very rare event. Um, it's not something that's common, but something that we almost always hear some uh, reports of uh, and uh, uh, really requires vigilance on preparation. So all our great athletic trainers around the state of Ohio that are providing excellent emergency care, um, our CPR training and the use of a um, automated external defibrillator are really the ways that we can, you know, save lives. Um, and so even more important than screening is our preparation. And so uh, obviously I know our coaches, athletic trainers, medical staffs, administrators around the state really take a lot of great pride and have, have done a great job in instituting that. That being said, we know one of the risk factors for sudden cardiac death is infection of the heart or what you've mentioned, myocarditis, and uh, although not the most common cause, uh, can be a cause of sudden cardiac death and arrhythmia, certainly in athletes. And one of the things that we continue to study and look at with COVID-19 is its predilection for potentially affecting the heart with infection. And so uh, it's one of the issues that has been discussed quite a bit. It's one of the issues that we're learning quite a bit about and certainly that we want to remain vigilant for. But I think it highlights the need for, again, prevention for healthy communities and trying to allow, you know, rather than worrying about what we do when that occurs, which is a rare event, uh, how can we prevent it from occurring? And I think those are those things that uh, you and others have talked about in trying to allow our athletes to uh, compete in a healthy environment. So let's talk for a moment, uh, let's say an athlete uh, who has the symptoms of COVID um, 
let's just assume they're, they're tested, um, comes back positive, um, athlete does not uh, exhibit, uh, you know, any kind of major problem, never has to go to the hospital, for example. Um, that person's now hopes to come back and play. What you're the doctor. What do you advise the, the, the coach? What do you advise the parents? What do you advise the athlete? Yeah, I think what I would advise everyone, Governor, is that that athlete, if they've been COVID positive, meets with their health care provider and makes certain that they have discussed, you know, the health risk and that they've had a complete assessment uh, uh, before they return to sport. And that may then, you know, be different for each uh, individual. And so certainly that could involve uh, not only an exam, but other cardiac testing, EKGs, echocardiograms, you know, um, lab work, other specialized cardiac tests and the use of a cardiac specialist if needed. But I think anyone who's had been COVID positive needs to meet with their healthcare provider or seek out that advice um, before they return to activity to make certain that they understand also the signs and symptoms to watch out for shortness of breath, any chest discomfort, exercise fatigue, you know, a, a middle-aged runner who may be used to be able to run an eight-minute mile that's now only able to run 12 or 13-minute miles. These are the things that might alert our healthcare providers to looking at something more specific. So not that we need to be, I think, overly uh, scared of this uh, complication, but we need to be aware of it. Okay. Very, very good. I asked you this morning uh, a question. Uh, I said, if you had a child who uh, was wanted to play uh, contact sports this fall, uh, would you let them do it? Yeah, you did ask me that question, and I've, I've been asked that question quite a bit. And I have <laughs> uh, uh, two high school age boys who play sports, a daughter who was a very competitive athlete. And, and my response to you is the response I'm going to give now, and that I think that every individual needs to look at what's going on in their environment and kind of what their community looks like. If the infectivity rate of this virus is extremely high and uh, uh, and we don't have the ability to test, I'd have some real concerns about letting my son play a contact sport. That being said, if I lived in a community where the infectivity rate is well controlled, where it's low, where I felt like uh, our community had embraced uh, the guidelines to allow the athletes to compete, in a healthy manner, then I would, you know, feel better about letting my son go forward. So I think it, you have to take into account what's going on in your local community, what's going on in your, you know, more extended community. Um, and I think that's why it's so incumbent on all of us to, to, you know, do the best we can to uh, prevent as much spread as possible. Okay, good. Doctor, thank you very, very much. One, maybe one last, last question. Um, uh, in regard to let's, a situation where um, one of the athletes on a team um, comes down with, with COVID. It's confirmed that student has COVID. What does that mean for the other athletes on that team or what might it mean? I guess it's fact, I assume it's fact driven pretty much here, but what, what might that mean or what, what should happen? Let's sure. So I think, I think first and foremost, we want to share information to prevent the, you know, unnecessary spread of that. So we want to make certain that, um, that we make, aware, those aware that there could be a positive case. And then I think that's where contact tracing is. We've heard a lot about becomes so important that we don't have an unnecessary um, shutdown, so to speak, of a large group of people that we have the ability to make certain that those close contacts uh, are appropriately notified and uh, follow CDC guidance and others on self-quarantine. The inability to do that or the inability to provide that information is probably going to lead to health departments recommending that 
entire groups of people, entire teams, or even entire leagues uh, potentially not participate uh, for a period of time, and that can be really disruptive to sport. So um, certainly that sort of communication is going to be really important and something that we need to be very vigilant about. Great. Doctor, thank you very, very much. We, we appreciate you. you being with us. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> Eric, let's go to our, uh, quickly to our, our slides here. Eric is behind the camera trying to do a bunch of different things at one time. Uh, this is our regular slide that comes up. Um, as we'll see the cases, uh, we certainly like, we don't like to see any cases, but that number is better than some of the uh, numbers we've been seeing, uh, 861 uh, deaths, tragically 39 people, uh, hospitalizations uh, we see also are up, uh, and ICU admissions are, are, are up. Uh, Eric, if we could go to the latest version of our top 10 Ohio counties uh, ranked by uh, incidents. Um, these are, I believe, new numbers. Let me look at the dates here. Yeah, this, this goes up to today. Uh, we'll see that, and these are, again, counties where we're trying to compare based on population. So how much has there been spread? What are the number of cases in the last 14 days based on population. So it's last last 14 days per 100,000 population. Um, uh, Mercer County uh, is at 245, still number one, although down a little bit. Uh, Dark County, Lawrence County, Meigs County, Preble, Shelby, Sandusky, Perry, Champaign, Auglaise. So for the first time, the top 10 counties are, are basically rural counties. Uh, and this is what we continue to see. Uh, we continue to see this significant spread out into our, our rural areas. Uh, so it is obviously very, very concerning. We do have good news. The positivity overall statewide uh, is, is coming down. Um, and we're happy, happy about that. And we're also seeing in our urban areas uh, generally a lowering uh, in the number, number of cases. Um, and so that is that is good. So uh, we will be issuing an order uh, and best guidance in regard to sports. Um, this is really the best uh, guidance that can be provided uh, by the health experts and the medical experts. But the caveat always is that, like anything else in life, it depends on how it how it is executed. Um, so we would just ask people when this comes out uh, in the next within the next day, uh, just take a look at it, uh, kind of go through it. But let me give you the give you the highlights. Um, so we will be releasing this order, and really it's about how uh, we can provide uh, the best advice uh, to how sports in Ohio are conducted. Uh, this includes not only high school. Uh, athletes, not only uh, situations that are under the Ohio uh, uh, High School Athletic Association's uh, umbrella, uh, but any kind of sports and organized by basically anybody uh, in, in the state. So it applies to all athletes, all teams, uh, whether under this umbrella of the Ohio High School uh, Athletic Association or, or not. Um, we have certainly heard from parents uh, we've heard from athletes, uh, we've talked to uh, young people, uh, coaches, doctors, uh, and, and health experts. 
just a, 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 maybe a kind of a few um, thoughts about this and kind of our thinking process. Uh, we know, first of all, that just as going back to school in person uh, does increase the risk of spread, uh, we know that sports do, uh, particularly uh, contact sports. Um, they do as well. Uh, further, we know that, uh, as Dr. Borcher said uh, several times, the more spread there is in a community, um, the more spread there's going to be in the school and the higher risk there's going to be um, to the students and, and certainly to the athletes as well. Um, on the other hand, uh, we all know the importance of sports. Uh, we've seen that, Fran and I have seen that with, with our own children. Uh, we've seen it with our own grandchildren. Uh, sports matters. It makes a difference. Um, sports provides all the things that we know. Discipline brings order, structure in the lives of student athletes, and certainly brings joy to those athletes and certainly to their families as well. Uh, any decision about playing sports or not playing sports simply cannot be made in a vacuum. Uh, that young person, if they're not playing sports, will obviously be doing something else with their time. And that has to be kept in mind as well. Um, we also know, of course, that each young person is different. Each young person has different needs. Uh, each young person is at a different point in their life uh, with different different needs, uh, different situations. Again, our order provides what we hope is the best guidance to play sports as safely uh, as that can be played in the era of COVID-19. So our, our, our order uh, will provide that all sports uh, may go forward uh, this fall with contact and the non-contact sports. Uh, again, we lay out exactly the roadmap and how this should take place and what has to be done to make it as safe as, as possible. We also, though, have heard uh, from superintendents, persons from families, for a desire uh, to switch some of these contact sports, football, soccer, field hockey, uh, to the spring. Uh, Lieutenant Governor and I have had conversations with the Ohio High School Athletic Association, uh, and they have given the go-ahead for schools that want to do that to move to the spring. Um, as we go through this, frankly, we know some schools are still deciding. Uh, some schools have already made up their mind. They've already, already announced. Uh, our goal is to provide, uh, is to focus on the student and to focus uh, on the school and to provide them the best opportunity they can so that, that young person can participate. No one can guess what the future is going to be. We don't know, frankly, what the situation is going to be or how far into the season we'll be able to get or if we can get all the way into the season, we certainly hope uh, right now. Nor do, can we predict uh, if things will be better uh, when it would become time to play these sports um, in, in the spring. Uh, but this order simply allows sports to move forward. Uh, and we have heard it expressed by some superintendents and others that they 
would like to be able to have a season, but they don't want to have a season now. We've certainly heard from other schools and other parents who say we want that season now. We think this is the best thing to happen for many, many, many reasons. Um, we have noticed um, that a good number of our urban schools, our city schools, um, have decided not to go back in person, and they've also decided not to have fall sports. Uh, so if there was no opportunity uh, in the spring to play, and again, we can't predict the future. We don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, but there is hope, and they will at least have hope, and we hope of actually a season. Uh, they've already made the decision not to play in the fall, so we don't want to exclude those children either. We want to give them the hope and the opportunity to also have a season. Uh, under our orders, uh, let me talk for a moment about spectators. Um, everyone I've talked to, virtually everyone I've talked to, uh, has put the focus exactly where it should be. And that focus should be on young people letting them play. It's also important, I believe, that that young person have someone there, if possible, to support them. There are people there. Many times it's family members. Sometimes it may be someone else who's very, very close to the family or very, very close to that particular young person. So when our order comes out, what you will see is that we will not have spectators other than, other than family members or people very close uh, to that particular child. And we'll leave that, of course, up to the school, you know, how to do that. Uh, we also know if you talk, for example, football, um, and other sports too, but I associate this with football more, and that is a marching band. Uh, that might be a drill team. That might be other things that happen during halftime. Uh, and so we would want to provide an opportunity for those parents as well to be able to come uh, and observe uh, what is going on. So we'll have more details on that um, when the order is actually issued. But that's the, the basic uh, underpinning uh, in regard to spectators. I think what you'll see when you look at the orders is no big surprises. So the, the health guidance that is in there is pretty much the guidance that you have heard from us, but you've also heard uh, on TV, you, you've read in the newspaper, uh, no, no big, big surprises. Um, I, I would just express a hope. Uh, I have a lot of hopes, but uh, one hope uh, is that the desire to have a season. I hope that the desire to have a season will inspire our young people, our athletes, our student athletes, 24-7 um, to be as careful as they can. And I hope also uh, that our coaches, and, and John Houston and I will be talking with coaches uh, later today in several different calls. We're also going to be talking to, to superintendents athletic directors uh, on conference calls. Uh, but our hope is that the coaches will use this as an opportunity uh, to, to focus uh, on helping these young people uh, understand what really is at stake. Uh, and that if they're going to be able to play whatever sport it is they're playing, whether it is, is soccer or football, whatever it is, 
uh, that they're going to have to do everything they can to keep COVID out of their, their team. Um, so I hope uh, and I believe it will work. Uh, the driving force that will inspire our young men, our young women uh, to make decisions in their lives 24-7. Uh, uh, and I hope that that will inspire them to make the right decisions to give them the opportunity um, to have the best chance they can to play their sport. Uh, to the coaches, uh, you in a normal year uh, inspire. Uh, you mentor. Uh, you instruct. You instill discipline, self-discipline uh, to your student-athletes. Um, for all of that, we're very, very grateful. Uh, parents, grandparents, everybody else connected with that child, we're very grateful for what you do. You make a lot of sacrifices, uh, you work long hours, and you inspire our kids. And so we thank you very, very much for that. But this year, this year, um, it's going to take more. Uh, it's going to be inspiring them uh, in regard to the goal of keeping COVID out children who have been signed up for the Imagination Library. So if you've not done so, go on, go online and, uh, and do that. So that's good, good, good news. Um, just to conclude, um, success this year in sports is going to be measured always by wins and losses and effort and all the things that we, you know, you know measure sports by. Uh, but it's also going to be measured to, certainly to some extent as how well um, we can keep the COVID uh, away from the team, away from, away from the athletes. Um, I think by what we're doing today, we're empowering uh, our young people, we're empowering the parents, we're empowering the schools uh, to take all the evidence, all the information, and make the best judgment call for that child, for those children. Um, these are tough, tough calls. Play contact sports now, um, play them in the spring, don't play them. Um, you know, these, these are all um, tough decisions. Uh, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. Uh, we just ask everyone to, to weigh everything, make the individual best decision for that, for that particular child, for that team, for that, for that school. Uh, what we want to do is give as many options uh, as possible out there uh, for everyone. As uh, Dr. Borchers pointed out, uh, community itself, um, whatever that community is, that's going to, as far as the COVID spread, you're going to see that in the schools. Um, you can take a small rural county, uh, that county can probably look at the numbers and get a pretty good idea what that spread is, get a very good idea. Uh, what that recent spread is in the community. If you're in a big urban county, uh, you know, much more diverse, many more people, uh, you may have to look at that data more down, more granular, uh, more in regard to the zip code and, and, and things like that. But this information is there. Uh, and if we can help anybody, uh, superintendents or anyone, you know, dig down into that information, we're, we're more than happy uh, to try to help them. Um, Sports uh, is about a lot of things, but one of the things it's about is hope. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, what sport it is, uh, hope springs eternal when you, when you start. And uh, so that's 
we'll end on that that happy happy thought. Uh, but I would just say that uh, hope itself is is not a plan. It's not a strategy. Uh, we all should have hope, but we also should have a plan. Uh, so we would ask you, uh, those who are making the decision to play, uh, we wish you every success in the world. We wish your kids every success uh, in keeping COVID, COVID away. Um, look at the plan we have uh, and try the best you can to, to execute that because we believe that gives you the best chance, your kids the best chance of being able to play uh, a season. Uh, let me now turn it over to the Lieutenant Governor. Uh, John, we're a little delayed getting to you, but uh, we have had a little intermission there. So uh, over to the Lieutenant Governor. Great. Thank you, Governor. Uh, I know you've made a lot of decisions uh, in, in your governorship, but I don't think you've made one that's been more anticipated by teenagers than this one. And uh, I know that uh, hope is a powerful, sustaining presence in our lives and uh, for a lot of student athletes, you've given them a good dose of hope today. So thank you for your decision. Um, look, I know that when we started working on this from the very beginning, coaches and student athletes said, you know, give us a chance, uh, give us a chance to do this. And, and today they have that chance, they have that opportunity. Um, but much like the sport you play, uh, your success is gonna be uh, based on how well you execute the game plan. Athletes, coaches, and families uh, are going to have to demonstrate the discipline uh, to follow the rules so that they can protect themselves and their teammates and, and control, uh, if not stop, the spread of the virus. And, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the things I know we've talked about is that the beneficial, one of the benefits, potential benefits of proceeding with sports is that the athletes, coaches, and families uh, have that extra incentive have that extra incentive to make sure that off the playing field, they're doing the right things like wearing their masks and staying socially distanced and stopping the spread of the virus. And we hope that this announcement will represent hundreds of thousands of people who have an extra incentive uh, to get this right. And as the governor mentioned, the coaches have an expanded role as educators and leaders in this particular uh, year. Uh, I also want to mention that um, uh, everyone involved must be accountable. Uh, in addition to the health department, the Ohio High School Athletic Association will hold schools, athletes, and parents accountable. Uh, they will have site inspectors at contests to ensure that the rules are being followed and that the failure to comply with these rules can result in forfeits of athletic contests and disqualification from competition for the season. So uh, the, the accountability and the, and the nature of how we're taking this seriously is, is super important. So uh, when it comes uh, to the coronavirus, we know that there is uh, no right decision uh, and that risk tolerance in your own personal circumstances and your limited alternatives are, are important uh, in any of that decision-making. And, and as Dr. Borchers and the governor pointed out, you know, go into this with your eyes wide open, know what you have to do, know what uh, the circumstances are for you and your family. But for the athletes out, out there, uh, here's your chance to play sports, the sports you love, and the opportunity to show us that you possess the discipline to make it work. And we all want you to be successful and healthy. And um, uh, we're excited for the opportunity that you have uh, to, to do this the right way. Governor?
Thanks, John. Uh, we're ready for questions. Governor, your first question today is from Ben Schwartz at WCPO in Cincinnati. Hi, Ben. Hi, Governor. Thank you for sticking with us through the difficulties. Um, my question, though, I'd like to touch on kind of how you ended your last statement about um, how tough this decision is. Um, I'd like to know how tough the entire decision process has been for you and how hard it was for you to come to this conclusion regarding sports in the state and to know if we can expect any changes to come in the future if the situation regarding COVID-19 changes specifically regarding uh, spectators at events. Well, Ben, yes, it's obviously been a been a difficult decision and it's a difficult decision because we, you know, this is what we value the most. Uh, we value all lives, uh, but we take special care uh, of our kids. And, uh, you know, I think this could be one of my children out there playing. So, Fran, I have eight kids. We have 24 grandchildren. Uh, you know, they all have played sports at one one level or the other. So we know the importance of sports. We know how much that season can mean to that young person. Uh, but we also know that, look, we're in a critical time in Ohio. Uh, you know, our positivity rate has come down below five. That's good. But we also know that we have some places where uh, that positivity has tripled that uh, in, in Ohio and some counties. Uh, and that's that's of, of grave, grave concern. So what we want to do today is to lay out much facts as we could we wanted to we've been working on these these orders that give guidance and we would just ask everyone involved to please read them uh, because it gives you the guidance to how we think is the best way to to carry to carry this out um, but these decisions are not made in a vacuum it's not just a case of saying okay look we're going back to school that's a risk we know that uh, we're, we're playing sports we know that's a risk both of those have certainly had the potential to increase the uh, spread in the, in the community. So we, you know, but we also know, as I said, these decisions are not made in a vacuum. And, and you know, that child having the discipline of that sports, having a coach who says, look, we got to get this right, men and women. <laughs> we got to do this, not just today at practice, not just in the game uh, coming up, but what you do the rest of the day and that discipline. Uh, that desire to have a season, I think, uh, you know, certainly has the potential to more than compensate for the added danger that is there. I've also had parents uh, who have reached out to me. A lot of parents have reached out to me uh, and talked about, I'm frankly on both sides of this, and talked about mental health issues. Um, and, you know, we all know young people who... Uh, sports uh, is what excites them, and that gives them a purpose, and it gives them a reason to continue to study uh, and to continue to stay focused. Um, so a lot, a lot of good things comes out, out of sports. Um, to answer your last question, we're going to see how it goes. We're going to see how it goes. Um, going back to school in person is a risk. Uh, but we also know we want our kids back in school. We want our kids to play sports, but we also know playing sports is a risk. Uh, and we're going to have to see how this goes. And so if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, um, schools are going to know that pretty quick. Uh, the coaches are going to know that pretty quick. 
Uh, we would just ask them to work with their local health department very closely uh, and to make the, make the right decisions. Uh, we obviously will be looking at this uh, and we'll see how this, how this works. I mean, we hope it works. Next question is from Steve Albritton at WLWT in Cincinnati. Hey, Governor, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Two-part question for you. Um, one, um, was a mask mandate ever considered? I know, at least for football athletes, when it cools off, most, if not all of them, would throw something over their face to keep that cool air go uh, coming into their lungs. And also on the second part, um, in this um, uh, in this order, is there anything with liability for schools? Is there a, a parental release form, anything like that, that will be required for athletes to play? Thank you. Uh, yeah, two good questions. Uh, as far as the mask, uh, we've left that open so far. We're going to see how it works. Uh, we've left it open to the schools, the coaches who are monitoring that and know what's going on. Um, doesn't mean that in that area or other areas that we can't fine-tune things if it looks like we need to fine-tune it. We will not hesitate to fine-tune if we, if we think that will help. Um, second, as far as liability, uh, this is something that I talked yesterday, uh, liability bill, excuse me, uh, to the Speaker uh, and the Senate President. Um, and I know that they both have bills uh, moving forward, and so I would hope that there would be some liability bill uh, that would, would pass. Uh, and that we could get to my desk. Next question is from Jack Windsor at WMFD in Mansfield. Hi, Governor. Hey, Jack, I missed you. Where I you missed you too, sir. <laughs> uh, tough question, Governor. Uh, we know that COVID was in Ohio in January, according to data, and in one county, uh, they're claiming it was in November. And since this is highly contagious, it probably did spread massively without our knowing. And at one point in February, before any policies, we saw hospitalization admissions uh, reach, I think, 1,200 in a day. And the worst we've seen since then, uh, knowing that COVID is here, is about 700. Uh, we also know that many schools were closed with a flu-like virus last winter, and many Ohioans believe that this was COVID. Yet we had a winter season, and we didn't seem to see serious issues with high school athletes, nor did we see hospitals overcrowded with athletes, their parents, or grandparents. Now that we have more immunity, better diagnostic measures, uh, ways to treat COVID successfully without a vaccine, and even the, the heart condition that Dr. Borchers mentioned is, is very rare, according to him. Uh, given all this data, um, it shows like the, the virus is under control when you look at the r not, the uh, positivity rate, case uh, trajectory and everything. So the, the tough question is, why are we restricting our kids at all when we could give them a season free of restrictions particularly when the CDC already warned that suicide, drug abuse, depression, those are much greater issues than COVID with our kids and that they are not transmitting the virus to adults. Um, when you combine this information, why can't we give them a season without restrictions? Well, I guess, Jack, I don't agree. <laughs> Honestly, I don't agree with everything you've said. So I'd say, so when you start with different facts, I guess you end up with different conclusions. Uh, you know, first of all, we're seeing significant spread into rural areas. We, never, we did not see that before in the spring. Uh, you could live in a rural area in the spring and not have not know anybody that had COVID. Pretty hard to do uh, today. Uh, we've seen it just spread. And if you go up the western side of the state, you see very rural counties, uh, wonderful people, great counties, and they've got horrible spread. Uh, that's that's one. Uh, two, if you look at uh, you know you've you've referenced several times about you know how many people have really had it. 
I think one good way of looking at it is looking at the Red Cross numbers. Uh, and, you know, when somebody goes in to give blood, um, not a perfectly sample, I suppose, but it does give some idea because these are people who don't have any symptoms. Uh, and, and the, you know, they try to determine one of the things they determine is whether or not they've had COVID or not. Uh, that number has never been been very, very high. It's always been fairly low. And frank and, and interestingly, it's pretty much tracking. The last number I saw is tracking the national average. So it's one or two percent. I can't remember exactly where it came, where, where it came out. Um, and so, uh, look, we can have a season. Uh, we can have seasons. Uh, we can have a lot of things. Uh, but if COVID gets into a team, it's not going to work. Uh, and so we're just asking everyone to be careful. Uh, if you look at, you know, how we conduct our lives today in Ohio, um, you know, we can do most everything. Uh, we just got to be careful. Uh, there's just an added sense of, of, of self-discipline and trying to be careful. And uh, since we're talking about sports and talking about hope, uh, there is hope out there because this, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. It will be over. It will be in our rearview mirror, and we'll look back on it and talk about it, and, and uh, young people will tell their kids and their grandkids about it. But it will be over, and we will be moving forward. But my goal for every Ohioan is to be there when that happens, to make it. Make sure your grandmother doesn't get sick. Uh, make sure that she can make it. Make sure everybody else makes it. Uh, and finally, kids do spread it. Uh, you know, every study has shown uh, that kids do spread it. So particularly those 10 years of age or older, uh, most of these athletes we're talking about, um, one of the concerns is they may be fine, um, but do they take it home to somebody in their family who has an uh, added, added medical problem? So those are the, those are the concerns that, that we would have. Thanks, Jack. Governor, next question is from Danny Eldridge at Hannah News Service. Hello, Governor. Sorry about that. I was on mute. Um, okay. I guess um, we, we talked about sports. Um, I, I guess another another thing that uh, you know may need to be addressed is uh, the performing arts uh, for high school students and for the professionals out there who feel like they, you know, are, are kind of been left in the dark during during these reopenings. Um, do you have a? Can you talk about what plans you have for not only uh, the professional yeah. performing yeah, arts? Yeah, yeah, and. and Look, and we we apologize for that in regard to the performing arts. Uh, you know, we've had grandchildren uh, who have been in in uh, school plays and theater, and it is uh, something that is just very, very, very important. Uh, and it's uh, one of the more amazing things is to uh, you know see your grandchild up there w with a role in a play, and just how in the world they memorize the lines and do all the things and the songs and everything else. So we don't want to leave that behind. Uh, so we will have orders out this week that will cover that. Uh, what we do know is, is what the scientists tell us. And obviously people project. Uh, and, and so that's going to have to be taken care of somehow. Uh, that, if that may mean moving, moving the audience back further, uh, so there's not that projection, uh, you know, we're going to leave that. To, we're working with the scientists on that to come up with some sort of plan for that. But we do, don't mean to leave out the performing arts. Very, very, very important, and uh, you know, not only is it important to to those who perform, but uh, for those of us who can't perform, uh, but sit there in the audience and uh, get great joy out of it. Uh, you know, we're, we're always amazed at what these these actors, actresses, and what uh, these performers can do. So, 
we'll have something next couple of days. Next question is from Laura Bischoff at the Dayton Daily News. Uh, hi, Governor. Um, hi, Laura. Two, quick, two quick questions. Will teams be following the CDC guidelines for quarantine um, of their close contacts when they have a positive, or will they be looking at a shorter period? And also, will there be schools where students are online only, yet uh, after school hours, they're out on the football field or on the cross-country course uh, competing? Yeah. Uh, the answer to the second question, uh, Laura, is that's entirely up to the school and to the families. Uh, we have seen, uh, you know, we've left the decision uh, about going back to school in person or hybrid uh, split or, uh, you know, totally online. Um, that's up to the school. Also up to the school is the sports. So you could have a combination of being online and that school made the decision, but we want to play ball and they, and they can do that. And so you, I think you look at today's announcement is just really kind of following up and consistent with, with that. Um, you know, after consultation with the Ohio High School Athletic Association, uh, we have additional option, which is that, you know, for a contact sport, uh, if the school wants to move it and they can, they can you know, put up, uh, come up with a schedule. Uh, we saw a number of, of uh, Cuyahoga County uh, schools uh, wanting to do that. In fact, I talked with the, John, I talked with the Parma superintendent this morning, uh, you know, about their ideas of putting different things together. We're fine. We're fine with that. We just want to give them more, more options. Uh, as far as the CDC, yes, they've been following the CDC uh, guidelines. And, uh, you know, this is, this is where it will be very, very important for them to work with their, with their local health departments. So, um, you know, again, in counties where, or in school districts where the spread is significant, a very, very significant or high, um, that's going to be more difficult. It just, you know, they, they, they swim in the ocean of whatever is out there. And um, so that's going to make it more difficult. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's going to make it certainly, certainly more difficult. But again, uh, you know, we're going to follow the best uh, practices um, that we follow anywhere else. Thank you. Thank you. Next question is from Scott Hallis of the Xenia Daily Gazette. Hey, Scott. hey Governor, how you doing? Good. Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging in there with us all. Um, with with fall sports, contact sports, there's a lot of moving parts into putting out an event. How detailed are the orders going to be? With respect to the number of people playing the football game, concession stands, number of people allowed in the press box, how they set things up for social distancing. Is that going to be your or Yeah, yeah, Scott. I mean, it's it's going to be a combination of both us, uh, what we put out in the order and the guidance we had, but it's all, look, it's like, it's like anything else in life. It's execution, you know, and, and the folks who are going to have to execute it. I mean, one of the things that we pr provide is that everybody who's hosting an event, uh, let's say it's, uh, you know, Cedarville High School, uh, you know, they're going to have to have what we call a compliance person. They're going to have to designate someone on, you know, on staff who is the compliance person who makes sure that, you know, everything is in fact being followed. We give them some guidance uh, in regard to the stands. Uh, you know, it's kind of basic. It goes back to uh, separation of people. Family members will be able to be seated by themselves. If you come out of a household, you obviously can sit, will be able to sit together. Uh, but what we don't want is 
people from other households, uh, you know, close in. So we want to separate people out. Uh, we will have a we will have a cap, uh, but the focus really will be on parents. Um, and you know, and we're going to let the schools work this out. We're not going to tell them how to do it. But the but the the focus has been really clear of what people have told me. And that is, hey, let's have the kids play. It's the most important thing. Second most important thing is have their loved ones there to cheer them on. Somebody who makes a difference in that child's life. Um, so that's that's what our emphasis is. And I think when you you look at the order, uh, you, you'll see that. And so it's not going to be your typical Friday night football in Ohio. I mean, you know, it it Friday night football is where the community comes together, literally. Uh, and you see people that you know didn't see all week, but you're going to see them Friday night, and, and you know, get your popcorn and you watch the football game, and it's just not going to be like that. Uh, and we hope it's only, you know, it's one season, uh, but the, but the young people are going to get to play, and that we think is the most important thing. Next question is from Kevin Landers at WBNS in Columbus. Good afternoon, Governor. Hey, Kevin, I wanted to switch uh, topics a little bit. I wanted to talk about voting. Uh, does one drop box per one million people make any sense to you? And if so, can you explain why? And also, do you support the president's decision to begin making reforms to the Postal Service so close to an election? Well, <laughs> no, the president didn't consult me on that. Um, look, I, I think there's a real consensus uh, among Republicans and Democrats that, um, you know, there are certainly challenges with the post office. But, um, you know, we don't want in any way uh, have a situation where the post office does not have the resources they need to get the ballots out, get the ballots back. Uh, so, you know, one thing that Frank LaRose uh, always reminds everybody, and I'm going to let John Houston say something and or ask John if he wants to say something because he was former secretary of state. Uh, but, uh, you know, people can apply early, send in your letter asking for that application and then my understanding is when the magical date comes, they can send that right to you and you'll get it early, get it back. Um, and I think that is that is important. John, do you want to add anything uh, to Kevin's sure. Sure, to, to my answer to Kevin's question? <laughs> uh, look, the post office needs to have adequate personnel, staffing and and uh, machinery to do its job. Uh, the system that we are operating in in Ohio has worked very well for more than a decade. In many cases, they, there were never drop boxes. Uh, everybody, get your absentee ballot applications in. The, the ballots will be sent to you a month in advance before the election. Get them back out, uh, mail them in. You can track that ballot online all the way back to your Board of Elections to make sure that it was received and will be counted. So we have the tracking mechanisms. We have the infrastructure in place. The post office needs to do its job. Ohio system has worked. That system is not changing. Uh, we need the post office to execute and it'll work, it'll work out fine. Voters should not be worried about their ballots being counted or being uh, sent through the mail as long as they turn them in on time. Uh, if it's postmarked in advance uh, of, elect, uh, of, of the day before or of election day, it will be counted. So um, make sure that we just, I just I want to have a reassuring message in here. 
Ohio, it's worked in Ohio in the past. We're not doing anything differently for the most part. And so it will, it will work again. Thanks, John. Who's next? Next question is from Andy Chow at Ohio Public Radio and Television. Hi, Governor. I'm wondering if I could try to squeeze two questions in. One, uh, as far as high school sports go, will athletes be required to be tested before games? And then as far as this decision goes, how important to have the past couple of weeks of declining numbers? How Did those play a role in your decision today? Uh, yes, to the second question. Uh, look, uh, we, we still are seeing mixed numbers. Uh, but positivity has now uh, reached, as I recall, 4.5. Uh, that is down two full points from where it was probably two months ago. Uh, now, that is statewide. It doesn't mean that we don't have places where it is high. And, and those are the places, as I've made very clear, that I worry most about. Uh, and just a little pitch for sports and, and for our athletes. The most important thing you can do if you live in an area that's red or if you live in an area that is orange or really any place in Ohio, if you want your kids to play football, if you want them to participate in soccer or in whatever the, the sport is, the most important thing you can do is wear a mask. Be careful because the community spread is going to be directly reflected uh, in, in, into that school. So, yeah, that played a big, uh, a big part as far as testing. Uh, there, I know there was confusion. We had a previous two orders ago, uh, and then in the last order, it was just repeated. It was never our intent that the testing requirement uh, would be for students. Now, if the school has the ability to test, uh, that would be good. But we're not, you know, we don't assume that. In fact, we're assuming uh, that testing is not going to be that widespread unless someone has a symptom. Uh, but we're willing, we're certainly willing to work with the schools on this. Uh, the other thing, um, Annie, that's going on, as you well know, uh, is this testing situation is changing. Uh, it's changing very quickly. Uh, we have started, for example, uh, testing uh, of all our, uh, you heard earlier about our testing that we have going on in the veterans home, but we're going through now, uh, and actually it's being done uh, in the assisted living homes uh, and residences. Uh, you know, we're on a two-week two cycle of testing. Uh, and that testing is taking, taking place. So the testing is more and more opportunities. Uh, we have uh, some opportunities to bring in more testing, and we're going to continue to do that. So where we are in a month from now or where we are two months from now, I can't tell you. But today it's pretty clear that it would be a very unusual high school that would have the ability to do any kind of testing, uh, you know, regularly to do testing. Um, it just so that's not part of this order. Uh, it's not part of our working assumption. It's not ba you know it's not what we base this decision on. Thank you. Next question is from Jeff Reddick at WSYX in Columbus. Hello, Governor. You hear me? Hey, Jeff. Um, I know you said that this. Uh, applies to high school sports and youth sports. Does your order also apply to college sports of all kinds? Um, if so, I know there's a lot of consternation about what's going on at Ohio State with the cancellation of the Big Ten season. Um, did you know anything about their testing program? And would you set your foot in the waters of people who are trying to get those sports started again this fall? Uh, what I've learned about Ohio State's testing program, frankly, has come after the fact uh, as we were looking at high school. 
th this order is is focused primarily uh, on high school, uh, but uh, you know it would certainly apply and will apply uh, to college as well. Um, you know, this is a moving target, as you know. Uh, some schools have, some leagues have decided not to play. A Big Ten, of course, uh, the MAC. Uh, so that knocked off, uh, you know, a number of certainly Division One schools uh, in Ohio. There's other leagues that have decided not to play. So it's a, it's a, it's a moving target. But uh, you know, this would apply uh, to those teams as well, those schools as well. Next question is from uh, Jim Province at the Toledo Blade. Hello, Governor. Uh, this is a mm -hmm. bit of a follow-up to uh, Jeff's question. Um, we've seen some of the major college football conferences, including the Big Ten, postpone their football seasons because they don't think it's safe right now for college athletes. Um, we've seen some professional teams that have been un un unable to keep the, the virus out of the locker rooms, et cetera. Why do we think it's going to be any different in a high school, gymnasium, or on the field? Well, Jim, that certainly uh, gives us all pause. Um, you know, these, these decisions, you'd have to talk to the different sports and the leagues about why they made, made those decisions. I've never said this is going to be easy. Uh, we have provided opportunities. First, it starts with the family. Family can say, we're not playing. School can say, we're not playing. School can then say, if it wants to, if it doesn't want to do that, it can say, we're going to play, we're going to try to play in the spring. Uh, but when you look at, I think you have to look at this from a holistic point of view. And the holistic point of view is what's best for that individual person, that individual child, that individual athlete. And all the things that go with sports. So if you only worried, if you only worried about the hours in a day that that student athlete would be in practice or in a game, pretty one-sided decision, I think. But we're dealing with a person and we're dealing with what they do the other times of the day. Uh, and we're gonna, we're gonna see. Uh, but I am hopeful, uh, you know, whether the, that desire, that discipline uh, to succeed, uh, instilled by the coach and self-instilled by the athlete, uh, will make them safer or as safe as they would have been if they were not playing the sport. So none of this we know. It's all a... We hope educated guess. We don't know where the virus will be in the spring. We don't know really where the virus will be in three weeks from now. Um, and, you know, we stand ready quite candidly uh, if this goes the wrong way uh, to shut it all, shut it all down. Uh, but I looked at this as a very close call. And I listened to what many parents have told me about the problems connected with their child being out of school, their child who had 
the major focus on sports that kept him or her focused, kept them in school, kept them focused on getting good grades, kept them focused on a lot of things. And you pull that away. And I've had a lot of people describe for us, and it's not just the studies that have been done about what impact that has on that particular child. So it's not just a question of, hey, the hours they play sports, the hours they, you know, is, is that worth it? The whole, the question is, it's, the, it's a bigger picture. And, and frankly, we're allowing parents to make that decision. Uh, we're allowing schools to make that decision. If it goes off the rails, if it goes off the rails, don't doubt that we'll, we'll step in. John? Yeah, th thanks, Governor. A, a couple things just really to emphasize. Uh, you know, if you're talking about 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, high school athletes, they're, they're in a position that they're going to go out and compete. It, it just, when you look at this, and I know from my life experiences and talking to coaches, are they better with the incentive to play and to keep themselves protected 24 hours a day uh, under a coach's supervision and these rules than they would be to be left to their own devices and go out and play pickup games and do do unorganized things as they do and I, I you know I just think that they're going to there's more of an incentive for them to do this right and to get the the education and coaching that they need to to sustain this uh, under a more structured situation and governor one thing I don't know if we pointed out is the effective date of when this can occur and that would be August the 21st August the 21st would would be the the effective date for re resumption of, of these activities? You know, in a sense, we're, we're <laughs> candidly, we're putting a lot on the coaches, we're putting a lot on the athletic directors and, and everybody in the school. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're the ones who can most directly uh, impact this. They're the ones who, you know, are there to inspire this student athlete every other day. Um, and a lot of it is execution. I mean, there's, you know, uh, Fran, I've had, uh, I guess all our kids have run cross country. Most of our uh, grandkids have run cross country. They've done other sports, played soccer, done other things as well. Uh, but a lot of it's going to be in the execution. Uh, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a cross country team and they're, and they're practicing, I know what kids like to do, they're out running a road or they're out running where in a park or wherever they're running, they, they like to be bunched together. That's what they want to do. Can't do that now. I mean, you can't be in a situation where, you know, the one athlete is uh, breathing on the other one for, uh, you know, 60 minutes or longer. Uh, so it's just things like that, that we can't write in orders. We can't micromanage, but that every coach is going to have to figure out, okay, it's not just during the event. It's not just during the meet, not just during the game. It's all the time I'm working with this young person and they're in training. How are we going to do the training? Everything has to has to be rethought, just like we rethink everything else during this time of COVID. Again, next year, we hope uh, everybody's back and we're back doing the things that in the way we wanted to do them. But this is no ordinary time. This is a different time. It will end. But during this time, all of us have to be different, frankly. Who has next question? Jake Zuckerman from Ohio Capital Journal has next question. Hello, Governor. This is Jake Zuckerman here. Hey, Jake. Uh, if, the, if the FDA does authorize a COVID vaccine to and brings it to the market, there are going to be some questions to answer, like how does the vaccine get out, who gets it first, and who, if anyone, must get it. 
Can you detail any planning on this front? And do you expect to request any kind of legislation of this LA from the GA? You know, that's an excellent question. I, I don't think, frankly, uh, we, we know. One would assume uh, that there will be protocols that will be national protocols. Uh, but I'm, we're, we're talking to doctors now uh, in case that's, there's not national protocols uh, that are set. You know, how, how would we set that in, in Ohio? Uh, these are decisions that politicians shouldn't make, bluntly. Uh, these are decisions that we should leave to, to infectious disease experts and people who really understand, you know, what is vitally important to save the most lives and how do we quickly uh, or as quick as we can get control of this. So it's something that we're already started to talk with doctors about. Um, if there's not national guidance, we will, we will have, we will be ready. But do you expect to need help from the legislature to rule anything out? Well, I don't know yet, frankly. I, I really don't know yet. Uh, I, again, Again, you know, uh, we're going to have to see where this discussion goes, and we'll try to do this uh, decision like we've done everything else, and that is to rely on doctors, to rely on medical community, uh, and try to make the, you know, the most informed, informed decision. But these are not typically uh, politician decisions, elected officials. We've got to bring the people in and, and who, who can tell us, you know, the health experts, how can we save the most lives? How can we slow the spread the quickest? Governor, next question is the last question and it belongs to Jackie Borchard of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Hey, Jackie. Hey, how are you? Um, this, this plan today leaves a lot of decisions to local schools. Does the order give them any guidance such as specific metrics or benchmarks uh, about how to reach that decision? And, and what would you consider going off the rails to look like? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think when you see the order, you'll see you'll see there's a lot of guidance in there. It'd be uh, great but, to see but, the order, but, but not. Yeah, you, you'll get to see that tomorrow. I, I think uh, I don't think it's quite done. But uh, but as far as the decision, look, Jackie, we've we're not very, we haven't been too subtle about this. I mean, it, you know, if you're in a community where you've got widespread COVID spread, you got to think long and hard about having contact sports in the fall. I mean, we're not going to tell them not to do it, but you know, that is part of the process. Whatever it is in the community, it will be in your school and whatever it is in your school will be, you know, at least going in with those athletes. No reason to think it's going to be any, any different. So that's why we continue to talk about the importance of schools, uh, communities rather, uh, you know, if they want their kids back in school, then, wear the mask, cut this spread down, keep it, keep the distance. So, you know, as, as, the, as Dr. Borcher said, schools and athletes and teams, you know, have got to look at what the environment is that they exist in. I think I would also, frankly, look at who are the teams I'm going to play. How's the spread in, with those teams in, from that community that we're going to be intermixing with? for several hours. I would look, I would look at that. I think that is, is certainly very important uh, as, as well. So those are the, you know, there's no secret about what the kind of the metrics are or, or, or how you go about making this decision. But ultimately every school is different, every child is different, and you gotta try to tailor the answer um, for that child. I, I would just also say and ask our schools, 
our coaches uh, will get a chance. John, I'm going to have the chance to talk w- with them and the superintendents here shortly, um, as well as athletic directors. But look, be flexible. Be flexible. You know, make this work. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Pull back. Uh, you know, if you're not too far in the season, maybe you can flip over to the, you know, you'll, you'll want to make a decision to flip over and do it, try to do it in, in the spring. You, we just, we've just got to be flexible because we're dealing with so many things that are unknown. I mean, you know, our, our positivity rate is down, but it's not down every county. It's up. It's up in a lot of counties. Overall, statewide, it's down. But a lot of our particular rural counties, uh, we're, seeing it, we're seeing it go, go up. So, I see that my time is up. Uh, thank you all very, very much. We'll see you uh, back here, I believe, at 2 o'clock on Thursday. And uh, hope everybody has a good day. Thank you.